difficult. It didn't seem right to uh, capsulize his work within 24, 25 minutes. So I, I think it, it was, it behooves us, excuse me, sorry, behooves us to, uh, to talk a little bit more about him and perhaps give it uh, a little stronger uh, a sense of, 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 of what he was about. And I think, um, yeah. so let me see. So, uh, first of all, I want to mention that um, as we start the shir, the shir is, is, is dedicated um, to the Fuhr Shalema of Sarfega Bas Buma. Um, I am not at liberty to discuss the details of who she is, um, but I'm sorry that uh, it's mixed up here. But she is a, a, a true Eshes and somebody that uh, has done wonders uh, in her community. She's considered a, a model of dedication. Um, she has been dealing with a lot of difficulties throughout the last number of years. And I thought it was appropriate in that light to say for Sarafega Bas Bluma, Samcheinu Kimoisi Nisanu Shinos Reinu Ro'a. That she should sorrow, she should be uh, given the simcha, at least commensurate to all the difficult times that she has gone through, especially what she's going through now. She was admitted to the hospital yesterday. Her son uh, called me about that. Um, and as a wonderful woman of Klaus' the Pusik, the next Pusik of Sarah, I think, is appropriate for her, for her as well. Shimubonim Musarav Vahakshivu Ladas Bina. Um, her husband is a very important person as well, but as we all know, the bina in the house comes from the mom, and that understanding, that other level of understanding that's important, and I know that she has done uh, a discuss of, of the wonderful family that she has raised, and um, she should a model as far as that, the bina, the understanding to make the right moves in life. And Fega was a hard one, I'll tell you the truth. I asked him, when I, you know, every week I try to come up with a pasuk that is commensurate to the name. Uh, pay ayin, there's actually more options than pay aleph. Um, but this one I thought made a sense to me. We know the mincha, the carbon that's mentioned at the very beginning of Sefer Vayikra, the Torah says is nefesh kisakriv. It might not have a lot to it. It might cost the least. But it represents, in large part, a real dedication and true sacrifice. The mincha does. And the halachas of the mincha are, are, are unique uh, in terms of uh, even this one. We know that this mincha's machvas is a very tough piece of bread, a lot, a lot tougher than this wonderful pita that we have here. And the Torah gives us an eitzah. You're going to do an avoda with it. Uh, it's nice and tough, but the way you're going to do the avoda is by breaking it into smaller pieces. Sometimes when you break it down, when you're looking at a, a, a challenge that seems to be so tough and there's nothing you can do, so you say, well, "This is uh, what can I do with this? It's, 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 it's completely not elastic. It's not pliable at all. So the Torah tells us, 
It tells us that many times, uh, especially a poor person, uh, a person in a difficult state, has to sometimes break it down. And when you break it down into smaller pieces, then be shaman. Then you can put the oil on it, and you can actually serve it to actually to actually uh, thrive. And I think that the, our, our person who uh, we're dedicating this year for, I think, uh, stands for all these three things that we talked about today. So she should have her foolish mission for her and her whole family. I just was informed right before we got here today that we're going to we're saying goodbye to one of our stalwarts of the year. Uh, those of you that come to the year. Uh, and don't listen to us. Well, sometimes you hear me say Tzvi. Tzvi has been our technology guru. Uh, he is uh, one of our proud um, graduates of the cybersecurity program that we initiated here. And uh, I think that uh, he stands, I know he has a, a very bright future uh, in the technology field. And as a mensch in general, it's been a, a, a nachas to be able to have a connection um, and we wish you all the best in, in all your future endeavors. And uh, don't be a stranger. Come back around to Newark. Come back around to the Shear. And uh, yeah. you and, and Mirza Hashem, the um, is it is it do, is it already is it a public thing about the um, saying your family in terms of what's going on in your family? We hope to hear a lot of oh, bracha. Yeah. Yeah, when is that? That's in August. In August. So, Hashem, we hope to hear Simchas and Masta very soon. And uh, don't forget us here in IDT. Okay, so as we say, we're talking about the centenarians, and I mentioned how Rav Steinman, although he was one of the last, but I thought, as we said here, that these were men, um, and again, you could say this about many people, but I think especially these men who lived through incredible hardships, uh, many of them grew up... Uh, in the upheavals in the beginning of the 20th century, those social upheavals. And, and it wasn't just what was going on in the, uh, the secular world. They also were at the heart of what was happening in the Orthodox world, in the Jewish world uh, in general, how the communities were splitting. And uh, despite everything that was going around them, uh, they developed in Torah to the highest degree, each one in their own specific place, um, they taught innumerable students through personal interaction and writings, and they rose to lead those generations. So, um, again, that doesn't mean people who made it into their 90s and 80s don't count, but this was just a means of putting these five together and perhaps becoming inspired and learning something from them. Okay. One of the ways I think that we can describe Rav Steinman um, was as a romantic realist. Um, now, usually those two things don't go together. If a person's a romantic, he has an idealized view of society, of the way the world can be. Um, and there are people like that that we see in the Torah world, and, and we sort of love to be around them. But then part of us say, but, you know, I wish the world was the way he thinks it is. And then there are others who exude positive positivity and give us you know a sense of uplift but they also really understand what's going on in the world and I think Rav Steinman one of the things it wasn't just and, and again perhaps I'm, I'm, I'm speaking a little bit without proper estimation of everyone in the pack but when Rav Steinman after Revel Yashiv um, was 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 ill and others when Rav Steinman sort of became and Rav Steinman never really was the spokesman 
But after Rav Shach's Ptira, when Rav Steinman started being the voice that you started hearing, I think what you heard, despite everything, you know, that sounded similar was a sense of inclusiveness, moderation, understanding. And I think that a lot of common sense and the idea of hardline Haredi really didn't fit Rav Steinman. Um, and I think he did a lot, and that's why, I, again, there's a, it was, he left a tremendous vacuum as far as that goes. You know, it wasn't like with Rav Steinman, people who interacted with him and heard, sought his counsel ended up shaking their heads and saying, you know, wow, well, you know, that's just not me, and I, I can't believe that. They might have disagreed, but I think Rav Steinman, uh, and, and as you know, he actually uh, was attacked uh, in his home, People might have known him. I didn't really. I don't want to spend too much time on that because it's a very ugly little incident. But it really shows you that there were people who felt that Rav Steinman was 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 in a, in a sense coddling uh, the left. It's again, I hate using those terms, but there was a sense that he had actually become even closer. Uh, and I think for us, that really shows that his type of voice was a voice that I think uh, was had the integrity. But on the other hand, he was no Rev Cook. You know, he's not Rev Cook Sotsal, and he's not like, you know, he, he didn't do the type of things that we see Rabbi Grossman do. But remember, Rev Cook and Rev Grossman were operating in a specific environment. Rev Steinman could only operate in the environment that he was in, but I think he created a sense of, yes, there's a, a sense of romanticism of an ideal possibility, but also a realism. And uh, I think we're going to see that in a number of things. Um, okay. Now, I, I, I fielded a little bit of, uh, of, of critique last time about uh, you know, exactly what we wanted to center in on. So there's a lot. So let, let's start. Uh, you know what? Let's start with the story part, and then we'll move to the halacha part. And again, the story part, however, is, is not just story. At the end of his life, of Steinman... Uh, was not only considered a spokesman for uh, the Degelatera and the spokesman for, let's say, a, a, a huge part of the Lithuanian Haredi world, Rosteinman also, people came to Rosteinman in order to decide uh, various disputes that were occurring. Unfortunately, yeah, that's part of, the, part of life, is dealing with disputes. He, unlike Rebel Yashiv, who actually was a Dayan in the Rabbanut, Rav Steinman, as far as I know, was never uh, an official part of, a, a, of, of, of an official Bezdin. Well, he might have been, but they might have called him in for Dine Torah. But he was called in to settle disputes. And here's two of them. And again, I, I, here, here's, here's an example of two of them, of his attitude towards them. So let's see if we can get this up on the board. Hoping now it does. Okay. Can everybody see all right? Make it a little bit larger. Okay. So this is uh, actually, was, as you can see here, uh, this is from the Sefer Godel Bekir Becha. And um, here we go. So as you can see here on the top right, it says, Bishiva parts of Machlekas ben Roshi Yeshiva. There was a, uh, a certain Yeshiva, and it happens. It happens too often uh, that there's a Machlekas between two great Talmud HaChachomim or fine Talmud HaChachomim as to who should run things in the yeshiva, who started things, who should decide which students get in, uh, what do we do with, with, with any leftover monies that we have, how are we going to allocate things. Uh, and it turns out many times they just can't coexist. 
I mean, this goes back to Voloshin. We've talked about Voloshin before, the Machlekes and Voloshin between um, the Beis Halevi and the Nitziv. And if you go into Shas, of course, you have Machlekes in, 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 in Surah itself between Rav Huna and Rav Chista, right? You have Rav Huna, the Talmud Muvik of Rav, and Rav Chista, right? And you have Rav Hanina in the time of Rebbe. So the idea of a yeshiva, not always, you know, it's not always achtas so much between the Rosh Yeshivas. It's sort of natural. I mean, you have people who with different, very strong opinions. Unfortunately, the Bochum sometimes suffer when these things happen. The people in yeshiva suffer when the Rosh Yeshivas are at odds with each other, and then they can't, they can't coexist. So there comes a time when you have to decide how are we going to move on and who's going to run the yeshiva and who's going to get the settlement, how are things going to happen. So these two, again, the names have been, uh, uh, have been put here and not, we don't know who they are, but they came to Rav Steinman and uh, Rav Steinman, they, they came a certain time that they were supposed to be there. And as they were waiting, and those who were in Rav Steinman's house, I don't know if those in B'nai Brak were there. Um, have anybody been, I've been to Rishtayman's house. Was anybody else over there? Did you ever, you've been there, right? You saw we were, how we lived there. So it wasn't exactly, they say he had the same mattress for 50 years. I don't know. It, right, they say it was the same, for 55 years he had the same mattress. But anyway, it was a very, it's quite a small house. So these two Rosh Hashimas are waiting out there. And um, they saw that when they came in, they saw Rishtayman. Uh, and he had a gabai with him, and he was going from the place where they had davened to another room, and when he saw them there, he passed them by, and he went into his study, and he closed the door. Um, and the gabai told the Rosh Yeshiva that they would have to wait, and they waited for 15 minutes, which was unusual, because they were supposed to come at a certain time, and he had them waiting out there for 15 minutes. Uh, actually, a half hour, according to this. Uh, then they uh, they came in. I'm sorry, they was waiting for 15 minutes. They came in and they sat for a half hour to hear the the, the dinay Torah. It was 15 minutes waiting. The din Torah took about a half hour. That's pretty quick, by the way. As someone who sits on uh, dinay Torah can tell you, it usually takes a lot longer. But it was about a half hour, and he heard what each side was supposed to say. And Rav Steinman thought a little bit, and he said, okay, this is what I think is Yashras, and both parties accepted it, uh, and they were pretty accepting, and they were about it. Um, as it was over, one of the Rosh Hashivas wanted to know, why was it that he kept us waiting for 15 minutes? You know, we were here on time, he was here. Why didn't we start the proceedings? He went into this room and he locked himself in there. What was going on? So according to the Gabbai, this was the answer. And I want everybody to take a look at this. Again, this shows you about who he was as well. So again, the first part of the story shows you that he came up with the common sense solution that these two combatants, these two Rishivas had. And again, I don't know what it was, but I'm sure it was definitely something that made sense. And they were both satisfied with it. That itself is enough of accomplishment. But what did he do beforehand? It said that... Uh, he says, when he saw you, he realized he needed some time with himself. He took Tilim. And he davened. He davened, saying the Psuke of Tilim. And what was his Tfilah, though? 
He says, I know that, the, I know, he knew both Rosh Hashivas. He knew both of them. And he was davening in his heart that he should be noki mikol revav shal negiyah. That he shouldn't have any sense of uh, favorment. Favor, thank you. Showing any type of favor, right? Favoritism to any of the parties. So he davened in a way, not that they shouldn't be a machlekas. That's unrealistic. There was a machlekas. You know, you might have thought the story was he went into the room to cry over the fact, Nebuch, that there's a machlekas in Klal Yisrael. That's not what he was crying about. He was crying because he knew how hard it was to be objective. He knew both of them. He probably had spoken to both of them. He cried in order that God should allow him and saying to him that he should be able to paskin pro- properly without a sense of Negias uh, towards any of the tzaddim, and that shows you a little bit of of, of, of what he was like. Another uh, psak story, and, and again, this one, I, I, I have to say again, it's it might this you have to read this with a, a, a under you have to see the undercurrent behind this. So this is a um, okay. Here we go. Now. Here, if everybody can see the board here, okay. So once again, it wasn't two Rosh Hashivas with the Machlekes. It was actually two, uh, a, a, a Baba boss and a Kailov person, okay? Now in Eretz Yisrael, a Kailov person, as we know, can sometimes mean, you know, today you think about a guy in Kailov, you think about somebody, you know, in their 20s, and their 30s perhaps, in Eretz Yisrael, a person in the Kailov could be like the Kailov Chazanish, you have people way past in the fifties and sixties, perhaps even longer, they're, they're considered avrechim in a way. In Lakewood too. What in Lakewood now also? Okay. So here's the thing: everybody gets older, and everyone has children, and those children find each other to get married. So here, the dinner tour is not between two Rosh Hashivas. The problem was between one younger man who was became an elder man who had a daughter who, let's assume, who is going to be, make a shidduch with a balabos. A balabos who had, Baruch Hashem, who had some parnosa, who had a job, who had a business. And um, because of that, uh, the, you know, the assumption of the, of the Kailu guy was, all right, look, you know, my daughter's a very nice girl. At least, well, she met the son of somebody who is, is a Baal Parnosa, the Shver, I'm sure, will be able to help out. I, the the Kailu guy saw himself as somebody that lived from hand to mouth. He says, I can make it by the end of the month. I somehow put together the money. Somehow I end up making it. I can somehow make my payments. I don't know. But at least my Mechutan to be is someone who can... Um, my Mechutan to be can be someone who can help support. Well, he was surprised. Because the Mechutin told him, look, um, I know you think that I have money, but, you know, I also have. So he says, well, you know what? This is not my first daughter that got married. I've, I've, I, I'm, in, I'm in debt for the weddings I've made up until this point. <laughs> a mil- half a million shekel. So the Paolo boss said back to him, he said, well, what do you think? You don't think I made chasnas? He says, I also had to make weddings. I'm in debt over a million shekel. So we all, we both have debts. Okay. And therefore, he said, we're going to go uh, 
in this in this consideration. We're going to go 50-50 in this deal. Well, the so as you know, in Eretz Yisrael, the chasana is only the tip of the iceberg. And I had this with my own uh, mechutin, who thought that we were going to pay for a dira, because that's the assumption, right? The assumption is when people, you, again, it's, it's well known, everybody knows. I mean, well, if you don't know this, I'll tell it to you. But most people in this room probably know that when you have people coming from Eretz Yisrael and they're telling you that they're collecting for Achnosas Kala, they don't mean that we, we got to pay for the wedding hall and the Kala needs a dress. Adam, what it means? It means an apartment somewhere. That, that apartment can be, as you know, half you know, half a million dollars possibly, right? That's what they're talking about. Right? Apartments, if they, especially if it's in Yerushalayim or something like that, or more. So when they say hachnosas kala, you know, you have this idea of this, you know, devach, this kala who doesn't have a veil or a dress. But what they're really talking about in Eretz Yisrael is an apartment. And there was the assumption that both parties, the parents. Have to do what do you mean? She doesn't have a dress. She doesn't have an address. Oh, very good. She doesn't. She doesn't have the address that they want. But she could probably have. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So the uh, so it turned out that the uh, and this is what the young man said. Oh, come on, fifty percent. He said, no, the, the other fellow said, the person, the working man said to the Kailu man, we'll just make it easier, he said, no, yeah, you're gonna, we're going to go 50%. But when they were looking for apartments, the Kailu fellow felt that he was trying to move the couple towards the cheaper side. Like, what do they need? All these luxurious things? What do they need, these things? Well, it turned out the couple themselves had other ideas, and whatever each party decided, they were going to, the minimum price didn't work, and with the extras, it turned out 100,000 shekel was the amount that uh, they had to pay for. Now, on this, the younger man said, if you take a look, he said here, um, here, you can take a look here, um, okay. Can everybody see where I have the cursor here? Can you see this or should I make it a little larger? You see it? Turned out that the cost of the deer was another 100,000 shekel. Once again, there was a debate. The Kailu the guy said, look, I can barely finish the month. And remember, I still owe a half a million shekel. So he says, you know what? You want the better apartment for them. You've got to give the whole 100,000. Whereas the Socher, the businessman said, look, once again, I'm telling you I have these debts. So it turned out they couldn't decide among themselves. They said, we're going to go bring this question to Rav Steinman. So they both came to Rav Steinman. Each one, tiny, you know, the Kailu Yungaman said, come on, um, my Mechutin makes a living, he has Parnasa, you know, he should pay the, again, I was willing to pay up until the, uh, a, a, a budget apartment, but this new 100,000 shekel, how much is that today, $25,000? Sure. So, yeah. so, yeah. so 20, that $25,000 should be paid by the other side, because you know what, he might not have the money now, but he has a source of income. He has an employer. He has a business. He is the employer. He has the money. I don't have. I don't know where my money's coming from. So, what was Rav Steinman Psak? He says, take a look. 
Shavreich Yishalem is koa meilav shekel v'yatzvay. So Rav Shteinman's psak was that the koimul guy has to pay the, all the complete 100,000. Not, right? Not 50-50, the koimul. So... He has a better source. Oh, so... Why are you copying us the story? Right? I'm sorry, no. It's, it's, it's a bit closer. <laughs> okay, look, can I help? Can I help it if I'm such a smart guy in this year that knows where the story is going? So anyway, so the the cable guy, the cable guy said, maybe Rob didn't understand. Remember, again, the question was, you know, right? Maybe he didn't even understand what I was saying. So where am I going to get a hundred thousand shekel? So when Steinman saw that they were they were shocked. He said, look, there are two ways to make money in this world. Obviously, look, I'm not saying one is better than the other. But the Mechutin, we know, has chosen the path of Teva. And, you know, it's hard in the Israeli economy of that day, and maybe even today even, it's even worse, to get 100,000 shekel. <laughs> and, I, and I agree, and, I, and the fact that he has this half a million or so of debt, it's incredible. But you, as Yankee sort of alludes to, how are you, you know what? You think you're paying for it? How, how do you think you live? How do you think you live by hand? You say you live by hand to mouth. What do you think is really going on, Mr. Kailu guy? How do you think that's happening? It, what's happening is, is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is taking care of you. It's not just the teva that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is taking a vested interest. He says that the the point is is that look, the truth is is that you get money, people give you handouts, you get something, so you believe that it's somehow it's it's the nicety of everyone around. Somehow you have a, a great friend, you have somebody who believes in you. All of that is the Rabbinu Shalom. He says it's not just siyata deshmaya, siyata deshmaya. It's the menahel of a person. And I, I know you, he says, for statement. He says he knew that he was a person that was dedicated to Torah. The reason why you're able to make it every month is because the Rabbeinu Shalom is taking care of you. And the Rabbeinu Shalom's, that type of way of getting money, that supernatural way, he says, that could happen. He says, your Balabas, the other side, he says, that's going to be a very difficult thing. So... He said that uh, what happened was the, they, they left the room and he said, okay, I guess somehow I, I, I'll take on the debt. It turned out, like a lot of these stories, what turned out was is that somehow that he was able to, the money came to him. And again, probably through philanthropic means, through perhaps other things. But he accepted that. He accepted the fact that he was living in an unnatural way and that perhaps if he took this and he took it, he took the Psak Basimcha, it turned out that not only did, was he able to get the 100,000 shekel, but within a couple of months, he was able to pay off his old debts from the wedding. And he said that when he told Rev Zilberstein this story, and again, Rev Zilberstein is, is famous for his stories, so this is a Rev Zilberstein story about Rev Steinman, <laughs> but he said that, he said that the other Mechutin is still trying to pay off his debts despite the fact that he had this. Now, I look at the story, you could say this story is all about how great it is to learn in Kailu. That's not what the story is about. The story is really about a, a message to the B'nai Teirah. The message of Beitera is, is that what their life is and to understand it. This story isn't saying, Rav doesn't say you're better than him. 
Rashtayman is saying, you have to understand, when you choose this life, you're committed to it completely, and what it means is almost a bond with God, and realize that the fact that you even make it is because somehow the Rabbani Shalom is, is, is allowing that to happen. And Tuffin is not halfway. Tuffin is, is either you're all in or, you, or it's not Tuffin. Correct. But, and a lot of times we feel we get siyata dishmaya. Part again, this is to me an example of 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 a realistic uh, uh, a realism that's romanticized in a way. And, and what do you think? Here's a question. Here's such a story. Like this it's very nice, but you would I would expect the person to go up yishach up and have a question. Yeah. Is that we pass here? Is Allah says this? It's a very cute story, and it has a nice ending. Good, good question. Well, if there'd be a contract, in other words, remember the contract between them was there was no written contract between them. And in the usual Din Torah, what happens is there's a contract, an understanding. Um, but it wasn't a Din Torah. They went to Godel Adar for Das Torah. That's a good, that, that's an interesting discussion in itself. There's Dionys and there's the Hadrach. Right. Uh, so Dionys would be what, what, what Mitch is saying, yes. That you're looking for halacha, and you have an argument, what's, what's the halacha? I, I look at this as they went to the Gadol Adar and they're looking for Das Torah. It's probably mediation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. exactly. But again, it, it, it's interesting how Rashtayman understood that, hey, you have a part, right? He understood that Chayvis are Chayvis. That a person, this Balabas, who had made all these weddings, th- those debts were incredible, right? There was another aid, so which of course that they could say, look, who says the couple needs the new? Who says they need all the other aspects of the apartment? Right? They could say that. They didn't say that, but both parties were committed to the to, to their family's uh, betterment. So on that, right? So it, time you could have told them that also. You know, the couple the couple doesn't need. You know, which was, but I think that was also, but that was implied as well. Again, his psak was the the, the Kailu guy should take on uh, on the complete debt. The Kailu side was the girl side, or the which I, I'm not sure. Again, I sort of said, in order for the story to make sense, I said it was that way. But let me take a look. Rabbi, uh, in general, it, when someone comes, like, like the example you gave, someone comes from Eretz and says, "I'm collecting for Achnas's kala," and you know, it is the, he's collecting for the apartment, right? Okay. It, is that Achnas's kala? Okay. So is it's. Right. <laughs> so here's the question. Here's the question: Are we makayim tzdoka by doing it? In other words, no, no, it's not. That's not, 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 not a question. Because Eilad Gormsha, right? I want to know: Is this is this called Achnas's kala or is this tzdoka? I understand tzdoka. Nobody's going to argue it's not stuck. Oh yeah, it's, I'm not sure if it's stuck. It's, 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 I'm not. I'm not sure if it's stuck because. Wait one second. One second. Tzedakah is you're supposed to right. If an usher loses all his money, you're supposed to support him at the level that, that, that he was supported. But that, it's also this a question is, of how much. This is the minimum level that, okay. that they that they consider. So as far as tzedakah, I'm not asking if it's stuck. All right. That, that I would say. I wonder Thank if you. It's not, if, it's <laughs> if they don't come up with the money for the apartment, won't the other side walk away? I think so. That doesn't make enough Nasus Kala, though. That's my question. But they can't get married, so aren't you... Isn't that the condition for them to accept the... What do you think, Jonathan? The more we support it, it just... Right, so again, which is... And there are posts who actually do not consider it's because here in America it isn't, right? But in Eretz Yisrael, it's assumption that that's going to be. So you're bringing the Gemara and 
Even on that Gemara, Yankee, yeah. there's not, it's not clear. Make sure this is on. It's not clear. You want to make sure this is on the recording? <laughs> That's right. It's not clear that you have to keep on doing it continuously. You have to wean the person off. You can't give him a shock to the system, but that doesn't mean that forever Hillel ran in front of the guy, right? Okay. So clearly there might be, like a John says, maybe we need a realignment. Maybe there's a problem with this siphoning, right? Clearly here we don't consider, it wouldn't be a Hamas Kala here. Uh, but near Yisrael, that's what they consider. There are postkim that say that it's vibalt, like you're saying. Everybody considers it a chov, and everyone considers it. So therefore, maybe if you're in a community that you can't change the system, so that's considered one of the necessities. But I'm not sure if we're Mekayim Tzlokim by giving it to them. Really? So that you can ask him, what, is this for the apartment? Okay, hold on. I'm not saying that you should give the guy the third degree. <laughs> My, I'm not saying you should give the guy the third degree, but what I'm saying is, but what I'm saying is if you have yourself allocated money for Tzlokas, in a nice way, say, look, you know, uh, this is what I can give you without telling him, hey, maybe you should, maybe they should rent or something else. Um, I, I think that, but if you want to know halachically, I can show you some sources on it. We can talk about it at a different time. But anyway, okay, this is, okay. Now let's talk about, so that's, I, that I think gives you a sense of our statement, and again, as Godel as Dayan. Um, we talked a little bit about um, uh, his svarim last week. And uh, I mentioned the uh, the the Yelis Hashachar and, and things about it. Um, there was a, a sefer he's particularly proud of. We'll get back to Yelis Hashachar in a minute. The sefer he's particularly proud of was his sefer called the Ashmiya Kol Tilosoi, which was a sefer on Tefillah. And he said an interesting comment about that, why he was happy about that sefer. Let me show that to you in a second. And this gets into a comment that Gary uh, and you said to me actually last week. So um, look what he said here. He says, um, first of all, it was in 2012, he says, It came out right towards the end of his life, a sefer that's a, a beer on davening. Uh, his, his children and grandchildren helped him put the sefer together, but it was, it was his ideas. And he said, just like Yaakov said, you know, I want to I see Yosef before I die. I want the sefer to come out before I die. And once the Sefer came out in 2013, you can see up around the board, he was so happy. And they said, why are you so happy about this Sefer? You've, you've written Svarim on, on Lumdis, you've written Svarim on, on, on some of the most difficult Sugis and Shas. And he said, Right? Now, it's true, you're going to tell me that Mudram, the Rebbe Yakar, the Rugas Habayzim. Again, but those are the outliers. Most of the time, right? Excuse me? Right, but yeah, but I'm saying the Rishonim, the Rishonim themselves, the, the medieval commentators, there are five, six, maybe ten Biurim on Siddur, on the Siddur Atfila. Yeah, you go, right? But he says, and it's Bahrainim, most of them, and it's true, Yaakov Emden gives you some beer, but most of them use the Siddur as a jumping off point for Din. What are the halachos that are involved in every day? How you should daven, etc. But not necessarily explaining what the siddur meant. So I had two um, two people actually came to me, uh, Gary and uh, Yankee, 
and said that maybe we, you know, that we should zero in a little bit more on on Inyanim of Tefillah. So here is Rav Steinman Sefer that he was so proud of until just a couple little points that I thought were pretty gishmak. So um, here. Is it publicly available? Yeah, well, if you have uh, Itzra Chachma, I'm just saying, you know, it's, uh, it's $50. It's hours a, it's fi- it. I think so. I think so. Okay, I, you probably have to order it. The bookstores, again, bookstores don't order Svarm anymore. I mean, because be- people stopped having the physical Svarm as much as they used to. But I guess you could probably get it. It's probably worthwhile. He has one on the Zemir. Uh, 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 right, but it's but on Shabbos, it's worthless. <laughs> Print it out beforehand. Print it out beforehand. <laughs> know what you want on Friday afternoon and and print what you need. Anyway. He has a safe on Zemiris as well. Mm-hmm. What? No, it's part of Yashmiya Koltiloso. It's part of his, part of the later stuff. So anyway, take a look here. So he says that we know we give a brocha machser nishomais with gorem mesim. And, um, right? Now, Here's the here is the thing, uh, the Ramah, the Ramah Paskins that let's say somebody uh, is late for davening, sometimes happens, right? And you, they're they're heading towards Baruchu or right. So you quickly say Baruch Shemar Ashrei, uh, you say Yishtabach, and you say the davening. What happened to the Birchas Hashachar that that you missed? So again, Chabad scriptures will never happen to Chabad. Chabad has a hero from the Rebbe that no matter how late you came, you came from the mikvah, whatever it is, that you say every single word of davening and it doesn't make a difference what anybody else is doing. That's the Chabad shita, and there's a, there's rise to that from Achreinim as well. Even on a halal day to, to catch halal, I'm not a Chabadsker. You can you can but respond to it to that. Sit this chair right at following. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the point. But but the point is, the point is, is that if you're not Chabad, this happens a lot to people. So what do they do? Do they go back and say the Birchas Hashachar? So what happens? So the Ramos says, yeah, the Ramos says they go. You go back and say Birchas Hashachar. So the Prichodesh says, well, even if the Ramos is right, a couple of one of the Birchas Hashachar you shouldn't say, which is you shouldn't say Mason, because that's about the fact that God gives back. The souls into the well, it's a very graphic description, right? Pigarimasim, the the dead corpses that are there, God returns the souls to them. Now, we say it in the morning because we feel hopefully energized, like someone who has Triya Samesim, but it is a bracha about Triya Samesim. So therefore the the um, the the Prichodish says that that bracha uh, you can't say. You cannot say the bracha of of a machs and shamas. Why? Because you daven shmon esrei, and in shmon esrei, the second bracha was machayim esim. So since you already said that bracha, you can't repeat the same idea. So that bracha you you would you would you wouldn't say. But, so, but isn't giving life? I haven't got to the. I've, I got different? what? Isn't giving life and returning the souls different from each other? Okay, your question is. Is that called Tchias HaMesim? Because when we say Mechayim HaMesim, he brings back life to the Mesim, that's the bracha, and then when we're talking about this bracha, we're talking about specifically returning the souls to the body. Isn't that two separate things? Well... Uh, I'm asking, isn't it two separate? Isn't it two separate? Okay, uh, okay. So, if, again, the mist. Okay, Tchias means the bo- the soul gets returned to the body. We know uh-huh. that. 
All right, and you can't get a more graphic. Gar Mason is is obviously a, a, a body that's dead. Now, you're right. There's a hint to the fact that when we awake every day, we should have an amun and tchias hamesim. But you know, there's just really the halachic issue here. Have you said that idea or not? If you said it now, Rav Steinman quotes a favorite of the Litvash Welt, uh, the Emek Bracha. Rav Arye, uh, you might have noticed his name, Rav Arye Pomeranchik. Rabbi Pomeranchik died at the age of 34. He uh, died in 1942. I don't know if Steinman knew him in Europe, but his he was old there at Israel, became very close to the Briskarov, the Chazanish. And unfortunately, Mamish is a young man uh, who was an Ili Otsum in a sense, uh, at least a tremendous Masmid. I don't know if he was an Ili Otsum, but he was clearly a tremendous cop and a Masmid Otsum and a wonderful human being. Uh, he died at 34. Almost like the opposite. Rashtayman lives to 104. So Rashtayman quotes this sefer from Rapamaranchik, the Emek Brocha. Here's his kasha. The Emek Brocha's kasha is the following. If that's true, what about Matir Asurim? What's the second Brocha again, right? Now, what are you going to tell me? That that's not the Brocha? We know, as Rav Pamaranchik says, that you start every bracha, again, even though Ato Gibor, right, starts with Ato Gibor, it's called a bracha smucha lechaverta. It's considered like the baruch, Ato Hashem, Elkeinu Melchilom, right, Elkei Avram, Elkei Yitzchak, Yaakov, is connected to every bracha in Shemona Esrei. All the brachas of Shemona Esrei are considered interconnected. The first bracha that you make in Ovos is chal on all the subsequent brachas. So Rav Pamaranchik says, it's like you made the bracha, Baruch HaToshem Elkeinu Melochilam Matir Asurim. Because the nusach of the, of, right, the, the, you don't need Birchas HaShachar nusach. Right? So therefore, the same way the Prechodesh says, you, you didn't say, Amach Shanisham Lusufkar Meisim, you shouldn't be able to say Matir Asurim either. Imkei Nimtza Shekol Masha Eimer Betvil, Reu Eimer Brachal Sheimu Malchus. And this is the Pamer, this is Rav Pomeranchik saying, shuv havi and therefore tzarech ian godel. So Rav Pomeranchik blibes tzarech ian how on uh, how we could if you person this happens how you could say matir asurim. So Steinman says a very obvious answer, which I thought was interesting. He said, look, a bracha has a lot of stuff in it. A bracha has a lot of important things that you should really say. But there's also the minimal requirement of the bracha. If a person, for example, says the bracha ato gibor, and he leaves out matir asur. If he leaves that out, somehow he's in a rush, he, he skips that word. The, the essence of the bracha, of course, is the chasima. So the toface of the chasima is the identity of the bracha. Obviously, birchas hashachar is different than shmona esrei. But you want the shmona esrei to take care of the birchas hashachar, you didn't say? The only type of Shmon Esrei that can take care of it is the essential aspect of that Shmon Esrei. The essential aspect of the second brach of Shmon Esrei is Machayim Esim. That's what it's about. Matir Asurim is only a side idea that's brought in. The essential, even though you said it, the bracha cannot work to patter you from what you missed in the morning. Which is that the bracha is able to do because that's the essence of the second bracha of Shemayin Esrei. 
How do you know that? Because that's the part that if you don't say, you haven't been Makai in the mitzvah. The other things that you might have said, despite the fact that the Baruch Hashem came before it, true, it was, it's, a, it's good in Shmon Esrei, but in order to potter you from what you missed, you need to grab the essence of the Baruch. And the essence of the Baruch is, is Tchiyas HaMesim. And therefore, you're, therefore, he says, you're not Yoytzei but this is his answer to Rapam Ranch. I thought that was... Another way to answer it also. Go ahead. There's, there's two different aspects going on here. In Shemona Esrei, it's a shvach to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're listing all the different aspects that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you know, has. So we're all the, right? So, but when we do it in, in the 15 brachas in the beginning... So it's not shevach? Matya Surim is, is, as the Gemara says, you know, that you're... you got to forbid. You're able, able stretch, you get out of bed... Okay, it's shavach, isn't it? Isn't that a shavach, right. though? So, so it's shavach, but it, but it has a different connotation, right? We, we're doing those, okay. those, those brachas, you know, when you get out of bed, okay. okay. So, Yanki, right? here, 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 I, I hear what the, you're the, saying. The context of the Matthew Asura Mishmanesu. The chiluk is a nice is, one. Is it different? Is it different? But remember, what, what, what is the resistance that we have here is making a bracha of Atola. What, what, what Pameranchik was worried about is, how could you tell people to make this art? You're taking the God's name in vain. You shouldn't be saying that. No one denies that. Right. I'm saying it's not a little about Tolo because it's two different, two different uh, sentiments. Right. That's not bad. That's not bad. One other point I thought he made here, which I thought was really powerful. Um, yeah, look, I, I give you, I, gave, I said it's not bad. What do you want me to do? You want a medal? What do you want? All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, kiss it. Okay. Um, okay. All right. All right. Here's an interesting um, uh, question, which really I think everybody should think about. Um, in the Brach of Birchas we say, Befinu Befi Amcha Beis Yisrael. Right? Now, um, <coughs> We say for us and for everybody. Now we know a lot of the Siddur is written in plural, right? And when you're davening biyachidus, you still say us, and you mean all of Kal Yisrael, right? It doesn't, right? It means everyone, right? So what? Why do we have to say when we say birchas Why do we have to say befinu ubefi amcha beis Yisrael, right? Befi amcha beis. Bafinu doesn't mean us literally, does it? So, right, so he says that he brings, and again, he was very close to the Briskerov. I don't know who Rabliss is, but he asked the Briskerov, what about in, 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 during Yom and the Royam? What do we say? Nizocher v'nichosev, anachnu v'kol amcha beis Yisrael, v'chaim tev m'sholem. Just say anachnu. Anachnu means the whole Kal Yisrael. Why do you have to say Kol Amcha Beis Yisrael? So the Briskarov's answer was, when you say Anachnu, or the normal plural, is, yeah, you're saying it as a plural, but you are a Yachid. You can't deny the fact that you're an individual with your own mind, and you're davening. You know you're part of Kal Yisrael, but that's what you mean. But when you say Amcha Beis Yisrael, then you're sort of like giving up that identity. Now, Zabriskarov is saying you daven as part of the Tzibur, but as a Yochid connected to a Tzibur. Then when you say 
the Amcha Beis Yisrael. By the way, we say this in Kaddish too, right? Aleinu v'alkol Beis Yisrael. We right? Osei Shalom bim Reimav. We Osei Shalom Aleinu v'alkol Yisrael. Right? We say that as well. So the Aleinu is you, part of the collective, as the individual to the collective. Whereas when you say Kol Beis Yisrael, then you are sort of like uh, dissipating your individual identity for the whole group. That's the Briska Rav's answer. But the Rav Steinman, despite his tremendous cover for the Briska Rav, says it's hard to explain that. He says, for example, is that what it means here in, 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 in Birch HaSatera? Right? He says, I'm going to suggest something else. By the way, Rav Steinman, in his Sefer, on, on, on his original manuscript edition of the Yelas HaShachar in Bobakama, there's the, one of the first pieces in the Briskarov uh, in, uh, in, in Hilchus Niske Mamain. He has a whole description of Ovas and Toldos. Revlei Malin, who I mentioned last week, has a, develops this. Rav Steinman has four questions against this uh, in the beginning of Ayelas HaShachar, the Briskarov's understanding of Ovas and Toldos. When his children saw that he had actually 40 questions against the uh, Briskarov's Yisoyed, so they wondered why he didn't, you know, mention them. You know, he says, yeah, but... So he said, look, I don't think it's Kovadik for me. In the beginning of my Sefer from Bobakama, like to rip the brisket off, he says, you know what, they'll go through the book and they'll see. But in the beginning of the Sefer, I, I don't want to, you know, start the Sefer off with this antagonistic sense of everybody is known, everyone knows the brisket rub's approach. I'm not going to, like, you know, come and, and, and attack him. So he's very, he's very respectful, but look at, you can see his answer is a lot more common sense. Take a look what he says. When we say, Oleinu v'anachnu, he says, Lamaisa, at the end of the day, um, who are, when we think about all of us, we think about the people we know. We think about the ones that people are makir v'yodeya mayhem. Now again, maybe you're uh, on Facebook, you have, uh, you know, 10 million friends, I don't know. Maybe in your Rolodex, I don't know. How many are in your phone? I don't know. But there are the group that we live with, the group that's part of our life. It's not just you people in the room. It's my friends and Elizabeth too, and maybe my brothers and family. But we all have, and each of us can say the same thing. We all have an anachnu. There's people that we know exist, but don't, we don't interact with them. And not only are not part of us, everyone will have it a little bit different. But every one of us has an anachnu, and we can't, in a way, get out of that when we're, when we're davening publicly. True, we're thinking of the group, but we're not really thinking of the, the, what is it, 15 million, 18 million Jews, whatever it is, or the whole planet. We're thinking about the population of the world that we know, the people we come in contact with, the people that we're part of. That's our, that's our default anachnu. Then... He says, and he says, you can't deny the achachach masifim lavakish or kolam yisrael. Those are people we don't know, the people we're not aware of. Umargish pochus bebakoshes toivosam, and you uh, you have to feel less about them, even though one could say the great achdus of kolam yisrael were in love with everybody. But the truth is, we know these madrasas are not are not true. We actually feel connected to the people we know about, the people that we have a, a connection to, the people that we are part of our lives. He says, Look at the fact when you hear about the news. 
Oh, I know that guy, right? All of a sudden, if you know the person, you take a, a tremendous interest in that. So again, I, I thought here that Rav Steinman's approach is very, it, it's very to the point of the way human beings are. Now, obviously, the message is, is that we need to work on ourselves to try to push it beyond the, 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 the hundred, what do they say, 150 people. I think the uh, uh, evolutionary biologists say that the, the average group of people in the, in the world was like 150, right? They had like 150. And even we ourselves have a hard time managing. The, again, I'm not, I'm not subscribing to this opinion, but there is an opinion out there that basically humanity is is genetically hardwired to work with about 150 or so people part of their life. But when you when, when the modern world gives us like an explosion of so many people, so therefore it becomes very difficult that we come short like with everyone. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard these theories before. Okay, corporate size. What? Corporation size, team size. I've heard about this. Right, you've heard so they talk, but but they all but they try to tie it. They try to tie it within the genetic biology because that's the way human beings are, right? And, th- and that initial, I don't know what it was, it's the hunters, the gatherers, or the farmers, whatever it is, it's that part of society, that's what worked. And the modern world, of course, gives us so many more people and so much more to deal with. There's almost a, a, an overload that our minds and our social capacity isn't ready for. I think you see that echoed over here uh, in Rav Steinman's point, that we do have our anachnu. And, and, and that's, in, in a way, it's almost hard to disassociate. But we need to push ourselves, especially as the world expands, to, uh, to go beyond that. So that, I think, is, those are two little, again, it's not exactly a beer and tefillah, but I think it, I think it is. I think it'll it, put things different. We're about, I think we're ending it now? We're at the end right now? I think so. Okay, so, all right. All right, so I, I think we've given a little bit of, of a statement. Let me, let me end with this quick, quick story. Just give me one minute, the quick story. Rav at the end of his life, was, uh, was brought, I mentioned this the other day, he was brought to the hospital. The head nurse at the hospital wanted to give him the best room, the room which had the biggest view, the biggest window, and the room for the doctors could deal with them with really the most room. Unfortunately, that room, everybody wanted that room in advance, and there was an older Jew who happened to have that room. But the nurse knew that the older Jew was a Masorati type of person, and he probably felt he seemed to be a warm, friendly guy. She approached him, and she said, you know, this great rabbi from B'nai Brak is coming, and we'd like to give him this room. You have all the rights to it. He said, of course. And the older gentleman pushed himself out of the bed. He wanted to go, and he, he said, I'm ready to give up the room right away. I'm ready, of course. Of course, I'm going to give up the room for him. Yes, it'll be the greatest, greatest thing. So the man moved. They gave him to another room. Rashtaman was then admitted. Well, a couple weeks later, they were, uh, the procedures had ended, and Rashtaman was released from the hospital. So his family said, Rav, you know, this room was really another gentleman had it. He's still here in the hospital. He gave up his room for you. Maybe before you leave, stop by and wish him well and give him a bracha for refuah. So Steinman sat back and he said, wow. He said, now I understand. I was sitting here after these procedures and looking out this window, and I saw that all the birds that had landed on the windowsill were all ofos tahoros, were all kosher birds. They were all kosher birds. Every single one that landed was a bird that was known to be kosher that you could eat. And he says, it says in Svarim 
that birds that are kosher congregate towards around a Mokum Kadosh, a holy place. And I was wondering, why were they coming here? What sort of holiness could they have here? Now I know. The holiness is from Vitur, when you give up. When you give up something that you have a right to, when you give up something that you have all the rights to, and you say, hey, I'm going to give that for someone else, that creates a kedusha, not just a great mitzvah, it creates a kedusha in the place. Of course, you see the tremendous modesty of Shleiman. It wasn't because of him. It was because of the vitur. And therefore, Rashtayman said, now I understand how holy he was. And this, I think, should be a lesson to us about what it takes to create a holy place, especially within ourselves. If we could be mavatar, even though we're right, but by, by being mavatar to the other and then working it out in some way, that creates a, 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 a kedusha. Okay. <coughs> Thank you, guys. Okay, we'll see you in Hashem next week. Okay. But by, by being mavatar to the other and then working it out in some way...